My parents have a loft that they seem to be forever cleaning out. It's absolutely full of everything from, oh gosh, all lamps to an old train set that's up there, boxes of clothes. And then there's the boxes of stuff that have been passed down, you know, when sadly we've lost grandparents and and, and um, their parents, you know, it, it, just boxes of things that you've thought, I don't want to throw that out. <laughs> So it's ended up in their old leather suitcases, um, suitcases full of clothes that when you open them, the smell hits you in a good way. Everyone listening will know those smells. You know, I I think it's the smell of the old coke coal fires that linger in a, in an old house and then linger in the clothes. And then when those people aren't with you anymore, it goes into a box. And every so often you're in the loft and you open that box and the smell and therefore every single memory comes back to you. Well, strangely, it's inside these boxes that I found tonight's episode. While we were looking for Christmas decorations actually a year ago now, I found a box that was just marked William. And inside it, I found a small collection of letters, all handwritten, some in pencil, some in pen, and it turned out that these letters were all written by a young man named William Nutter during 1918. And tonight, I'm going to tell you his story. Welcome to the second Remembrance special of the Voices from the North East podcast, The Letters of Private William Nutter. Welcome to the podcast, people. Morning, podcasters. I was born in North Dean Colliery. I should have remembered that because my mother used to work for them. I'm champion for absolutely fine. She went flying over me pole into Bustelli. Discovering these letters was like opening a time capsule to an era that is much talked about but is becoming increasingly difficult for us to really relate to. The further away from that time, 1914-1918, that we get, the more alien its practices and language and attitudes really seems to be. But reading these letters like this which I've now done, just really made things easier to understand because they brought the war down to an absolutely individual human level. These letters are the letters of one young man out of his comfort zone, writing mostly to his mum and dad. I'm going to tell Private Nutter's story through his letters and by taking you through the questions that I had when I discovered them. I'm going to use his letters, some research that I've done um, online and through various books that are about similar experiences of soldiers in and around Asherton during that time, hopefully to tell you the fullest story that I can. So let's start with the first question, the most obvious question, I guess, which is, who was William Nutter? And why did we have his letters in our loft? William was actually born in Seg Hill. But by 1911, he was living with his mum, his dad, 
and four other siblings at 76 Beatrice Street in Asherton. Today, it's a three-bedroom terraced house in the town. It's quite something really to imagine six people living in one two to three bedroom house in those streets back then, let alone now. His trade, I suppose you might have guessed it, was a miner. He was a putter. That's what it's listed as, in the mine to be exact. Spending his days in damp, muddy dirt down the mine. This information is taken from the census in 1911, when William was 17. William was 20 when war was declared in 1914. For some context about the start of the war, I found this little bit quite interesting. On August the 5th, 1914, the following was read in the House of Commons by the then Prime Minister, Asquith. No nation has ever entered into a great struggle, and this is one of the greatest in history. With a clearer conscience and a stronger conviction that it is fighting not for aggression or advancement of its own interests, but for principles whose maintenance is vital to the civilised world. Young William did not enlist at the start of the war. He would eventually enlist in 1918, at the age of 23. Still very young and very sheltered, he had absolutely no idea at that age, as I guess most of the young men who enlisted did, of the absolute horrors that he was going to face when fighting for king and country. William's letters were in our house because they were rescued. I'll let me ma'am explain. The letters um, from my great-uncle were actually just in a cupboard when a great-aunt had died. Um, she lived up Maple Street in a little flat upstairs and my other aunt and my dad were busy trying to clear the house out and they just picked up all these letters and put them in the bin. And I went, whoa, what were they, what were they? And I went, oh, they're letters from a brother who was killed in the First World War. Nobody will want them. And I went, can I have a look? You know, sort of, anyway, they were on top of the bin, along with a lot of other things which I wish I had kept. Um, and I saw that these were letters from the First World War. And I started reading them. Most of them are in pencil. None of them matched up. And I would be about maybe 16 at the time. And although I really appreciated that I'd found something rather special here, it took me many, many years to be able to get them in any sense of order. After finding out a little bit more about William, you, like me, are probably going to have the next question in your mind. And this question is one that I don't know if I'm ever going to have the specific answer to, but I can theorise. The question that I think you have and I have is that what drove him to enlist so late? He could have signed up at the start of the war when the patriotic rhetoric was so strong and there was no mounting death toll to tell you that it wasn't going to be over by Christmas. The answer to why he didn't sign up is likely due to his reserved occupation. So he could decline the offer of enlistment with no mark on his pride or honour. But then that begs the question, why wait three years to enlist? In 1914, many miners did enlist. 
the advertising and the, and, the, and the rhetoric around doing your patriotic duty, you know, risking life for king and country was so strong. And I suppose many might have seen soldiering as a possibly safer job than being down the mine. I discovered that some 30,000 miners from South Wales actually enlisted to fight in 1914. But by early 1915, they were being recalled from the front, from the trenches, due to the impact that their loss was actually having on coal production and industry back home. The miners were absolutely vital to the country's fuel and were industry. Not just the industry of war, but, you know, keeping the home fires burning. So, miners were told they should not, and mostly could not, enlist in 1915. That answers the possible question of why he didn't enlist, but still leaves the question of why he did open. In later years of the war, with the death toll mounting, the government did a U-turn. Some things never change, eh? And they changed the rules, allowing young men like William to leave certain roles in the mines and enlist to fight for their king and country. Now, you and I can only theorise, I guess, that as the war raged on, as more of his friends and family members answered the call to arms, he eventually felt that it was time to play his part, do his duty. Never really know. I imagine next, like me, you want to know what his training was like and where he was based. William enlisted on the 17th of May 1918, and this was noted in the paperwork um, at the army offices in Newcastle. He was inducted into the Durham Light Infantry. After saying his goodbyes and wishing his mam and dad and his sisters and brothers fond farewells, he took the train from Newcastle to Hull. He wasn't waved off at the station. I found this out later. His mother felt that it was too far to travel to wish him goodbye, so he took himself off and got on the train and went to war. In Hull, he found a new home in a huge training camp of huts that existed for the sole purpose of readying our troops for war. A great many of William's letters to home come from his time when he's in training. His letters are light in tone, and reading them, <laughs> well, the earliest of them, you would be forgiven for forgetting that he was in basic training in the midst of one of the bloodiest conflicts in our history, and you might well assume that he was staying at Butlins. To illustrate this for you, I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from a few of his letters for you, just so you can get a feel for how he was seeing this time. Dear Mother, just a line to let you know that I have had a good time of it so far. We left Newcastle at 15 minutes to one, and we arrived at Sutton 10 minutes past six on Friday night. We've had three meals a day, and we had a sandwich when travelling on the tram. One poor fella has had a hard time of it. He's been taking fits all day. Give Bart Carr my address and tell Will Davison I'm asking after him. When you send me a letter, let me know if you got my clothes all right. Our sergeants are fine fellows. They told us to ask anything and they would be glad to tell us. 
tell dear old dad I was going to close and nearly forgot about him. But you must excuse this one as I am in a muddle with one thing and another. The beds are fine, three boards, three blankets. I'll try and write you another letter when I get a bit more time. Now I will draw to a close as I'm going to clean my butters and it's getting to bedtime. From your loving son Will, tell all my sisters I give them all my love and also brother Jack. Dear mother and father, just a few lines hoping that it finds you both in the best of health as it leaves me at the present. Now I'm having a good time and have nothing to grumble about. We're getting very good grub here. For dinner we had two potatoes, beans, meat and Yorkshire pudding. I tell you it was very fine. I was inoculated on Sunday morning and I was also at church on Sunday. We have plenty drilling to do and plenty straps to clean. Now I hope you do not bother yourself to send me any parcels as I can get plenty to eat here and there's loads of tabs. If you care to send me anything, please send me a bit of money because we go to the YMCA at night times and you can buy a cup of tea, cocoa and coffee and buns for supper. I hope you don't think I'm broke because don't. I've got about 9 bob left. I've had heard that we get 14 weeks training here and then I'll get some leave. Time is going to fly over. Tell my sisters and my brother Jack I'm asking after them. I wish you all here, it's such a fine place and we're having very fine weather. I hope little Thomas and little Norman are still good friends. I shall draw to a close now from your son Billy. Kisses and plenty of them. Dear mother and father, I'm just what you would call in the pink. I'm having a time of my life here, it's simply a treat. There was a fellow came to me on Saturday night and he'd seen our John. He's in hospital at Hull and wanted me to go down and see him but I could never get out. Does our Lizzie know that he's at Hull? The last letter I got said he was at Hornsey. I thought he was still there until this fellow told me different. Don't worry about leave as I'm taking no harm. I can look after myself but still I think it'll be nice to be home in a fortnight or at the most three weeks. My leave will be for ten days. Please I would like you to send me a cigarette case as I haven't got one. Tell dad to get me one like his as a present. Send me a wallet as well if you can like Will Davison has. I will draw to a close with heaps of love to all at home. Oh and extra love to little Norman. Dear mother and father, I hope this letter finds you in the best of health as it leaves me at present. Now we've been fed up to the mark. We really have had more bread than we could eat. Now we have a big day on Sunday when we went to church. The general was there and he presented some medals to some of the sergeants. Oh, Please tell our Jack and Lizzie that the loaf that they sent was a very nice treat and unexpected. 
Now I've been waiting for a letter from you. But if you haven't written one yet, don't bother to answer this one because we're going to be moving on Wednesday. The lads here are a happy lot. They're enjoying themselves. They've been drunk these last two days and singing all night long. You must excuse this letter being short as we've been dismissed from parade and must clean our packs before the inspection after dinner. I shall close giving you my best of love from your son Will to all at home. Goodbye, goodbye love to you all. Like me, I imagine you love so many things about these letters. But perhaps two things that stand out the most for me are the fondness with which he addresses his parents in the opening lines of every single letter. I think it highlights his love for his parents and it tells you how close to them he was and how formal the process of writing a letter must have seemed to him. You know, as a minor, he would have left school many years previously, many years before now, and he'd have had absolutely next to no need to write a letter prior to going to war. So when he sits to write down a letter to his parents, it, it must feel like a really formal thing to him. And I think that's why his sort of structure of how he words things is the way it is. Also, like me, I hope that you love how the smallest details of his days have become the focus of his letters. He talks about the weather, he talks about his friends, the food, the drink, their time off. Some of it's necessity. He wouldn't have been able to tell too much about actual activities and movements, for example, for obvious reasons. Um, so he turns his attention to the more mundane and the everyday in an effort to communicate something in his letters. The tone of his letters interestingly changes over time. The tone shifts from the uplifting jolly outing to routine and tired and perhaps even disillusioned with the structure of camp and some of the other things. In one letter, he notes that many of the others do not return from their leave when they get to be allowed to go home promptly, and so they are fined for that. Well, soon after, he actually writes a letter home himself, in which he notes that he's been fined for not returning to camp. He stayed home for two or three extra days, but he notes that it was worth it to have extra time with the family. The letters also move from talking about how well they are being fed and looked after to requests for food and cigarettes as the comforts that they seem to have been given in their first weeks in training start to be removed. You are probably like me and wonder why that is. Was it to make sure that they sent positive letters home in the first instance or was it to prepare them slowly for the very limited rations they were going to have when they're in the theatre of war? Sadly, I am not able to find an answer to that one. Let me share some of the letters that show his frustrations with you. Dear mother and father, 
and I hope this letter finds you in good health as it leaves me at present. I received your parcel with two shillings in it. We've been on a half day's training for sports recently. The sandwich and the pie came in very handy. It's a long time from five till five. We get three good meals a day, but it's a long day from five. The fresh air gives you a good appetite for your meals. We get half a day off on Saturday. I'll get my photo taken and send them as soon as possible. They're very strict here. We get no chance to gamble our money away, which is a good thing, so you should not worry about it. I'm waiting for the tin I know you will send the first chance you get. The razor and the glass you sent were very good. The oranges were rather dry. The sweets were very good, though. First I've had since being here. I have had some nice chocolate here, though. Dear Mother and Father, I hope this letter finds you in good health as it leaves me at present. I've just finished my course and will be home soon. The leave has been extended to 12 days. When I do come home, it'll be the happiest 12 days I have had in many, many weeks. If you could send me a pound, it would come in handy, as I might need to pay my train fare. Please tell our Jack to get the rod and line ready, as I'm longing for some days fishing. The other day, when I was on the range, I got some mushrooms, but I had to give them to the sergeant as we weren't allowed to cook them. I will draw to a close now. Don't forget to write soon, Mother. I love you, your loving son, Will. Dear sister, many thanks for the parcel. I hope this finds you well as it leaves me in present. The sugar was a treat. I had it on my porridge in the morning. Some of it was wasted and had burst in the bag. It would have been better put in a tin box. We are at the firing range on a course at the moment and having a grand time of it. We travel there every morning to Hornsey. We had had a terrible rainstorm. All the big tents that we have our meals in were blown down and we had to hold on to our own tents to make sure they didn't blow away. It was the worst storm I've ever seen. When I'm done on this shooting course, we're going to get some leave. Our section of lads are looking forward to it. I won eight points on the shooting course. Tell me how much money you've sent me altogether. I've received seven and six. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Love from Will. Just a line to let you know I am back at Sutton. I got the parcel alright and enjoyed the herring. I had it spread on my bread. Now don't bother to answer this letter, as I'm sure we will be home sometime soon. Tell our Jack and father not to catch all the fish, but leave one or two for me. I'm dying to have a nice Yorkshire pudding and some roast meat or leek pudding. I shall draw to a cause now. Your loving son, Will. Dear mother and father, I hope this letter finds you in good health as it leaves me at present. I received your parcel, which was very nice. Now I'm using the milk on my porridge every morning. It makes it taste fine. The wallet was a fine one, but the cigarette case is rather big. I will be home on Friday the 8th. 
Now I have seen John at Hull on Sunday night, and we spent the evening together. He told me to ask our Lizzie if she has forgotten all about him. The tabs came in very handy, as this place has cleaned out. I'd be very pleased if you could send me some more money and some more tabs. I will draw to a close now. Love to you all. Your loving son, Will. Dear Mother, Just a line in answer to your letter. All the boys had to stand out in the fields last night as the Zepps were overhead at one o'clock. Our guns started to fire and they were firing those shells which when fired split into a lot of lights so as to find our whereabouts. The sky was fairly lit up with lights. I must draw to a close, Mother. I cannot write for long tonight. Heaps of love from your loving son, Will. Dear Mother and Father, Just a line hoping that it finds you in the best of health at present. I should like you to send me a good razor, as the one I have been using is now blunt. Perhaps you would like to know where I am. I'm sitting in the YMCA, and it's a fine place. There is a concert here tonight, and you can get tea, cocoa, etc. Buns and biscuits are plentiful. I've had a letter from little Jack. There's some new lads coming up here every day. I heard that there was 700 coming this week. Tell Ted I am asking after him. I shall draw to a close now. All my love, Billy. From home to training, the next thing you and I want to know, I suppose, is where did he fight during the war? In September of 1918, William was shipped over to France as part of the Durham Light Infantry's 15th Battalion. Now here, his letters become limited. He writes shorter letters and less often, for obvious reasons, really. From war records of his battalion, I was able to track his progress uh, across France in those last few months of the war. When he writes, he talks about the YMCA and the work that they're doing to keep up the morale of soldiers, providing paper and pencils to troops so they can write home, providing them with cocoa and food when and where they can. Notice this isn't the army doing this for their troops. You can't help but think of episodes of Blackadder and see them a little bit more realistic than maybe we thought they were. You know, with the upper classes throwing the soldiers into harm's way and expecting them to almost be grateful to be able to do their patriotic duty uh, with little thought for their well-being and keeping their spirits up. Anyway, it's also worth noting that the view you and I share from 2021, some hundred years later, is that the end was in sight? The war was soon to end? I can't help but think this when I see that he, you know, enlisted in 1918 and then he didn't even go into the theatre of conflict until September. You know, it's nearly over. But really... For the soldiers, there's no such finish line to run towards. They are not running down the clock to a pre-arranged finish. For all but a few, who will eventually know that the end of the war is coming, 
um, the soldiers are going to fight on, under the illusion that it might never end. They may well hope in their hearts that it'll be over by Christmas, but that lie has been told by the government so many times, it must be running a little bit thin every time a Christmas passes and the war continues by now. William found himself in the Somme at one point. At school, we tend to see the Somme as one battle that happened at a fixed point during the war, started and ended whilst the war raged on in other places, but that's not the case. The Somme raged on throughout the war um, and was littered by many, many individual battles. From the Somme, William and his battalion moved into war-ravaged towns and villages across France, where trees and buildings were equally standing symbols of the devastation caused by the war. September the 18th, 1918. There's not many of his letters that he dated, but this is one of them. Dear Mother and Father, just a line or two hoping that it finds you in the best of health as it leaves me at present. We're having a good time here, but I don't suppose that that will last. We're having a right time of it with the French money. I can't hardly understand it. First time I went to buy something, I had to exchange half a crown. This place is in a fine state. Can't see anything but broken down houses and smashed up trees all shattered by shells. I must draw to a close. Heaps of love from me to home from your son, Will. Dear Mother, just a few lines before I must leave. I've never seen Will out here yet, but I expect I'll see him soon as I'm told he's not far from us. I was thinking of you the other day. I hope you are all well. We are having a right time of it at the moment, but I cannot say more than that. I think that is all at present, from your loving son, Will. Dear Mother and Father, You must not worry yourself about my letters coming slowly or short. We don't get enough paper and envelopes unless we are at a YMCA. We've had a time of it recently. Never seen so much fighting. This is my address if you care to send me a letter back, but do not concern yourself if it takes a long time for me to reply. I think, or I hope, the war will be over by Christmas or shortly after. If you see Carr or Marriott, please tell them I'm asking after them. Please give them my address and ask them to write to me soon. The weather here is nice. The sun is shining most days, but we're told to expect a storm soon. I will draw to a close now. Heaps of love and kisses from your loving son, Will. Please give my best love to all of you at home. I miss you so much. Maybe the last question that I have when I looked through his letters and that I guess you're going to have as well is, how did his war end? Well, around 3am on a cold and wet October morning, 19 days before the end of the war. His battalion entered a village after crossing the River Sale. 
as part of what is written, um, I believe now, as the final advance in Picardy. The Allied force are pushing through enemy resistance and working very hard to eventually break through the Hindenburg Line, which is what's holding France. Crossing the river, they entered a village, which was a scene of utter devastation. Blasted houses, torn up roads, huge cracked and broken trees lining the road into the town. And the meat heavy resistance. We are at the end of the war here and the the enemy is fighting to the end. Amid a hail of gunfire, William and his team took ground and drove the enemies back. They drove them out of the town, one by one, each bit of ground absolutely hard won. In the late hours of the day, a gunshot took William's life in an instant. Like so many deaths in the war, it was swift and unremarkable. A bullet fired from an unseen and unknown hand took one more brave life from the world. Far from home, far from his mum and dad and his sisters, his brothers, his family, Private William Nutter fell to his knees in the French mud and died for King and Conry. He died protecting the freedom of the people of Europe, the freedom to live in peace, to be respected by your neighbour, to be protected and safe from fear and tyranny. Amongst his possessions, which were sent home some weeks later, was an unopened letter, which had failed to reach him before his death. It was a letter from his sister, replying to one of his other letters. Friday, October 18th, 1918. Dear brother, we received your letter this morning and we're glad to hear you are all right. You do not say whether you got mother's parcel. Father is still off work, but we hope he will be ready to start work on Monday next. We got two letters from Cairns on Wednesday and two this morning. He sent four handkerchiefs and four cards. He says he has seen the DLI and told that they were not far from the NFs, so you may not be long in seeing him. My mother and Florrie were at Blythe seeing Cairns off and they were saying how you had to go away without anyone seeing you off but they could hardly do anything else when Blythe is so near. I hope it will be as you say that the war will be over by Christmas and the boys coming home. There was a rumour here that peace had already been declared and there was such a carry-on. I hope you will be a long time in that village and that you will never have to see any fighting. Larker has wrote home to say he's covered with spots and expecting to get into hospital. Jay Davison has been gassed, but is all right now so it must have only been slight. Mrs. Santon was taken away with a fever and has died of it. It's a big loss to Mr. Santon. Eva Woodrow was married yesterday to a lad called Steele. Smith Roundtree has got his discharge and is home, but John has not got home yet. Now this is all the news, so I will close with love from home. Your loving sister Betty. Write soon, and let us know if you get your parcel.
these men may not have enlisted to fight for the freedom of Europe and the world. Most likely, they fought for their homes and their families. But they were part of a bigger conflict and a bigger aim. They gave the ultimate sacrifice in the name of freedom. I want to make a personal plea to you, dear listener. When you take a moment to remember over the next few days, think of this. I see their sacrifice not as a sacrifice for Britain, for Englishmen and women, but as a sacrifice for freedom, peace and the belief that humans can be kind, loving and respectful of their neighbours. They do not need to fight, judge or condemn. Borders mean nothing when conflict makes one place unsafe. Wars are fought to preserve peace. Individuals who fight do so to protect people who cannot take up arms and fight. After this season of remembrance, the season of goodwill follows, and we prepare for Christmas. Please take the opportunity to enter that season with as much kindness in your heart as you can find. All around us there are those who are suffering in some way. They may be suffering the effects of something that you can see, but equally something that you cannot. Covid has left a mark on all of us. For some it has stolen futures that we had planned, for others it's reshaped our world. It's made many fearful of things that were once so normal, and it's made isolation commonplace. This Christmas I implore you to make the extra effort to smile at everyone you meet. You never know how important a smile and a hello from a stranger might be in somebody's day. Lest we forget, we are free because of the sacrifice made by Private William Nutter and so many others. It behooves us to do the best we can with that freedom. And we can start by being kind. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and well, and come back very soon for more voices from the Northeast.